Welcome to another episode of Leadership Amplified. I'm delighted to welcome you to the conversation today. Um, my guest today is Marie Claire Ross, who's a speaker, facilitator, and mentor. She focuses on building workplace trust in order to improve trust between leaders and their teams. Marie Claire works with companies around the world such as Qantas, Patronus, Australian Tax Office. Hamad Medical Corporation, Queensland Health and Novartis. She is the author of Trusted to Thrive, How Leaders Create Connected and Accountable Teams, as well as Transform Your Safety Communication. She's on the SME Committee for the Australian Institute of Company Directors, and she's also a fellow of the CEO Institute. And the topic today is around trust, given that Marie Claire is an expert in that area. And we know that trust is particularly important uh, for leadership um, in order that people can do well by their teams and their organisations. Welcome, Marie Claire. It's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast on Leadership Amplified. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with you and learning a bit more about your background, what led you to where you are today and the very important work that you're doing um, on trust in particular, but on focusing how to really help teams be high performing. So welcome. Thank you, Karen. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. Terrific. Okay, so let's start off with your story. Uh, let's find out a little bit more about how your thought leadership has developed. Um, tell us about your career journey. What got you here? I finished When I finished uni, I went into market research and mm -hmm. I loved market research. So I was running and working on big uh, governments research studies across Australia. I was working with advertising agencies and I was really enjoying the, the research side that uh, I was doing. And mm. unfortunately, I, I had a, I had some things occur in my career that kind of were career limiting. And oh. I ended up not being in market research anymore because it's quite a small industry. And, you know, looking back, uh, you know, I'd probably say uh, that, you know, there might have been some, let's just say some sociopaths meddling with my career, oh, which no, unfortunately no, allowed no. to happen. <laughs> so I well, I don't know. Do you allow that to stage, happen, Marie <laughs> That might be um, a, a, yeah, another conversation that we can have. Yeah. <laughs> That's very disappointing. I was, I was young and naive. Well, but that's, I guess that's a real problem when people don't have much experience of the workplace. You don't necessarily know what you should and shouldn't accept. Um, you have so much less power. It can be difficult to make good choices and good decisions. We rely on those authority figures to help us do that. Correct. And, you know, this is over 20 years ago now. Uh, a very different time and, you know, workplace culture, you know, wasn't discussed uh, in things that I knew about when it came to business. Mm. But 
as it happened, I was newly married at the time and I ended up kind of being a corporate refugee, you could say, and running away and started a video production house with my husband. Mm. And that ended up really igniting a passion in me. I absolutely loved everything to do with business and read every business book I could, went to every seminar and learnt a lot. And then within a a couple Mm. of, within a short time, we were hiring staff and young staff in particular. And a lot of these, it was really interesting. A lot of the employees that we had working for us and that I was leading because I was running the business because my Mm -hmm. husband's more technical, uh, were from, you know, quite dysfunctional or um, difficult uh, family circumstances. And so I really worked on building really nice, warm, nurturing relationships with my employees, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, I'm Melbourne-based. They were in rural Victoria. So I worked on building that connection with them. Mm-hmm. And because I love corporate work so much, I also did... I did a lot of work creating corporate training videos and marketing videos for large companies. Mm. And there was a project that I worked on with a glass manufacturer and it was this big manual handling training program. And I worked with all four levels of management, right from the executive general manager to training managers all sorts of managers and when we went on site to film the training video I was quite shocked at this us versus them language and I say Mm. that because well particularly back then when you turned on up on site with a camera crew people were really excited everyone thought it was their turn to be a star morale was high (laughs) Uh, people would treat us like you know we're the most exciting thing to happen in a long time and it was actually a really nice atmosphere but at this particular workplace there was this kind of hesitancy to work with us which I'd never experienced and quite derogatory language about any leader even their supervisors and then fast forward a couple of weeks and those people actually on on that site went on strike nothing to do with us I promise and (laughs) When the executive general manager went across the country and New Zealand to actually promote this training program, uh, word got back to me that he was quite surprised that people were actually binning their little employee training handbooks that we had produced. And I was shocked when I was told because I was given the information and told, well, why are they doing this? Kind of almost incriminating me that I had done something wrong. Mm. Now, at the time, I had a quite a popular workplace communicator blog, and I was actually doing a lot of research around the important role of supervisors. Mm-hmm. And I got back to them and I said, hey, we've made a mistake. We never got the supervisors on board. We needed them. They're the linchpin between executive general management and the front line. And we didn't get them on board. And the employees now feel like it's another thing being done to them, not for them. And, you know, back then, this is, you know, I think it might have been about 2008, 2009, that sort of time. And, you know, the executive general managers just didn't get what I was talking about. And I said, we need to build trust. 
and they didn't get it. But it was normal for me because that's what I was doing all the time with my own employees, which by Mm. then had gone to 10 people. Mm. And anyway, I decided, and I have to say rather full-heartedly, that uh, I have to create a company to teach leaders this. So that's what I did back in 2014. Took me a mm-hmm. few years. Um, and I have to say, uh, it's it's taken a long time for people to get it. Back then, I, you know, sometimes people would just laugh at me. Uh, but it's a very different reality now. Thankfully. Why would they do that? What 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 were they laughing at? Uh just you know, having to build trust. It just didn't make that any idea sense. Idea that you would yeah. thought, that you would invest in building trust. Yeah, well, I teach, you know, a lot of leaders also back then, and it still happens to this day, will say that, well, of course you have to build trust. They they kind of think that it's a given because they're a leader, they're already building it, but they don't realise that it's something that you consciously have to work on pretty much every day. Mm. It is interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, as as someone who's, uh, worked in the leadership space and being a psychologist, these sorts of concepts around trust and the importance of it. Um, well, like you and I, they're, they're things that we uh, get and understand and promote. Why do you think it is that it, why do you think it's so hard for these kinds of ideas, the softer skills, if you like the, the investment in people? Uh, why is that so hard for? leaders some leaders in organizations to get a lot of it is because we tend to overrate our abilities Mm. so I do because of my market research background I I like to do a a bit of research I, I like to do research still and what's really interesting is that particularly when a company might come to me And they might have in their leadership team a couple of leaders that haven't done so well in their 360-degree interviews. In fact, low trust is an issue. Mm -hmm. And so I usually coach them or, you know, I might be working with that leadership team. And what has been fascinating is in the past is that a lot of those leaders, they'll walk into their first session with me and I give them a little, you know, assessment to fill out. And, you know, Typically, a lot of those leaders will rate themselves 10 out of 10 for a whole lot of indicators on trust building. Right. (laughs) And you can see the HR director's eyes rolling when this happens. But at at the end of the session, they'll actually rate themselves lower. So technically, it looks like my my workshop's been a bit of a failure because people are less... (laughs) Understanding how to build trust. Not at all. Much more realistic. Yeah, it's it's that self-awareness that um, comes through. And, you know, you probably are aware that, you know, there was a study done by Dr. Tasha Urich, and she talks about this in the book Insight, that, you know, a measly 5 to 10% of leaders are actually self-aware. They're just, mm. you know, not aware of the impact of their behaviours on other people around them. And that's one of the reasons why, trust in the past in particular has been undervalued because leaders just didn't realize the impact uh you know it was creating by not having it mm. yeah 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 so you you started your business it was uh difficult to kind of get people to understand that this is important why were you so passionate about it and persisting with it 
Yeah, I has, I've asked myself that question many times. <laughs> it's important when you're working for yourself to have answers to questions like that. <laughs> um, I, it was just something I was so passionate about and I mm. knew that if I didn't do this, it would be one of those career regrets uh, okay. and one of those things I'd regret all my life. And to be honest, you know, a lot of things that drive us uh, are things that we're trying to heal within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was doing some work with a coach uh, back in 2016 and he just said to me that the whole reason why I was wanting to build trust, actually, no, it wasn't him. It was actually a, a woman in America that I was working with. And at the time I was working on physical safety, helping, you know, people, companies communicate health and safety better. Mm. And she just said to me that why I was so keen on improving safety, it wasn't so much the physical safety, it was I was trying to keep people safe because I didn't feel safe as a child. And at the time I was really annoyed when she said that, but I realised it was true. And so, you know, growing up, you know, if I look at my childhood, I didn't have the psychological safety that, you know, is so important for our development. But I also mm. didn't have parents I could trust to be there for me. Right. And that's where it's all coming from. And so when I had my own employees, I was creating a really safe, loving environment for them because that's what I need to thrive. Um, but, you know, it's not just me. We all need it. We do. Um, and I mean, I think there's a great thing about growing up and being an adult and developing that self-awareness, self-insight, which means that you can nourish those important parts of you that need nourishing and provide that for others. As you've done. Yeah. And we're, it's just really interesting because now we're at a time where you know, people are more likely to work, leave a workplace because of toxic leadership. Mm. And those poor negative dysfunctional behaviours uh, that were totally accepted <laughs> in the 70s, 80s and even 90s uh, just really are on the nose now. And there's this real shift in what employees are expecting from their leaders. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that in some ways in in the past there was a different kind of safety. There was a safety of paternalism. Um, So it wasn't necessarily that people didn't feel safe, but now we look back on that and say, well, actually, that's so limiting. Um, It's too protective. Um, Yeah. And so Mm. where, where are you right now? So we've come to sort of 2014. Um, 2016 uh, with the insight around why you were doing what you were doing um what have you done since then to bring you up to date yeah well um i really spent many years deeply researching trust Mm. so read every book every research study and then developed a framework called Succeed Together, which I use with leadership teams and have an assessment with that and then benchmark leadership teams to other other, um, companies uh, because it's really about, you know, particularly with executives, you've got to break through that cognitive bias. 
And and how do you do that? Yeah, well, it's been a, a hard one process uh, mm. and making mistakes along the way. So, you know, because I had such resistance at the start, uh, and I have to say I rarely get it now. In fact, I mm. really haven't had it for a, a long time, except for, you know, I'm going to have to say disappointingly, one university that said to me, we can't have you come here and do a workshop that's got trust in it because you'll upset our staff. Oh, 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 oh really? <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that from your <laughs> tertiary experience. <laughs> but anyway. Not, not just that, but the whole idea that you would say something like that. It's, I um, think and I was, I was like flawed because yeah. I thought, wow, I haven't heard this for four years. Mm. Um, but anyway, so it's really about I'm blocking those cognitive biases because, you know, particularly in leadership teams, groupthink can often run mm. so deep. And what I found is that executives often don't realise they're not working well with other leaders. They're so mm -hmm. busy, you know, meeting their individual obligations. You know, we have this education system that has rewarded us on our, you know, doing well, getting an A, and we take that to the workplace and we mm. don't really learn to collaborate as well as we think we are. Mm. And so... I've had to develop a bit of a process, particularly for leadership teams that you know, really are not operating at the level they should be. And so that involves the online assessment that I was talking about, Succeed Together. And one of the things that I've had to do is actually separate the CEO results, or it could be the team leader's results, to the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. And I do that for a number of reasons. The first is because the team leader models the behaviour for that team, particularly the executive team, which sets the cultural tone for the whole organisation, uh, you need the CEO in particular to be vulnerable. So, you know, I'm not picking on anyone in any session that I do, but it's actually very helpful for other team members to see where the CEO differs in their perspective. Mm. And yeah. that actually paves the way for some really open and honest conversations that you normally wouldn't get, uh, which is really quite interesting. And it also helps the CEO to realise where their expectations might be too high or too low or completely mm. out of sync with everyone yeah. else. Yeah. So that's one of the steps. The other one is I do, you know, for really, for leadership teams, particularly technical leaders that still will go, ah, oh, I don't believe those results. I, I, I just don't see where that bad. Um, then I do stakeholder interviews just to see, um, what employees the, uh, are saying, not only employees, but also customers and other stakeholders. Because what that does is, you know, by interviewing those different groups, we can find out at a much deeper level what the impact is of a leadership team that, you know, people mm. don't trust as much as they need to and what they mm. need to get from that leadership team. And so usually when those results, you know, that are really the why behind the numbers are brought to executives, it really starts to crack open what's really going on and what they need to work on and how yeah. they need to work together. And then, you know, I do a series of workshops based on the, the deficits that have come through in those, um, in the assessment because I have six trust drivers that I work with. And then, you know, there might be coaching or, or 
technique, typically there's, you know, a course of, you know, regular learning together uh, as mm. a team to, to mm. help get them on track. Yeah. And I think for, especially for executive teams, that opportunity to learn together and to create, which means creating an environment, an environment where you don't necessarily know the answers where you're more curious uh, that sounds like a great way to develop trust yeah that's that's right and of course you know we, we don't like saying this now but um you know sometimes you know that's why face-to-face workshops in particular can work so hard work so well you know it is more difficult doing this sort of stuff online um yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I mean there's lots of techniques that we you know we use as you'd know Karen but um, you know, getting people in the same room and working on projects together and nutting things out and discussing, you know, having those deep discussions in the same room and then, you know, catching up for dinner and drinks afterwards, you know, really, really helps a team get things mm. together. You know, not that mm. that's the only solution. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it's I amazing. Mean, I tend to think that, that kind of work that you're doing, yeah, I, I agree that that is probably the area of work that remains very difficult to do by by a video conference because um, we know video conference cuts out lots of the uh, non-verbal behaviour and signals. Um, and yeah, so I think it makes a big difference to do that face-to-face. So uh, uh, now, most recently you've published um, your book, Trusted to Thrive, how leaders create connected and accountable teams. Now, I particularly like that connection between being connected, dare I say that, um, and being accountable. And I, I think that's a great sort of proposition for organisations. So going back to what you were saying earlier, it's not all this sort of soft and fluffy stuff. It's not investment just for the sake of it what you're really looking to do is to increase performance. Um, so when you're talking with the doubters about this kind of work and you're you're emphasising this connection between connection, I've got to find a better way of saying that, <laughs> connection and accountability, you know, how do you, how do you sell that idea to them? Yeah, well, there's some interesting research that was done by Dr. Amy Edmondson, uh, of course, the psychologist who coined the term psychological safety. And she actually found that when you have teams that are both psychologically safe and accountable, they actually collide those two factors to create high performance. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You can't uh, have one without the other so to speak. I mean, you can, but it just doesn't create high performance. And when leaders get that, when they realise that they've got to do a combination, then they start to understand uh, the difference it can make and why it's important. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for telling us, you know, about your story, how you got where you got, uh, where you are. So let's just turn to this um, issue of trust because that's, I think it's a really fascinating and interesting thing um, to talk about. It's one of those things that's quite invisible, um, hard to notice, and yet at the same time we tend to know when we've got it and when we don't. So what are the most important things that leaders should be aware of 
when it comes to trust? Yeah, well, trust is a really, it's a small word, let's face it, but it's a really complex topic, hence why I've Mm. studied it for so many years. But it also means different things to different people. And so we really need to understand that how we need people to build trust with us is different for everyone in what they need. And so just to get it clear, you know, when I talk about trust, I'm just talking about trust in the workplace, the relationships Mm. with employees. I'm not talking about trust in politics or, you know, even trust with customers, but the relationships Mm. internal to an organisation. And how I like to define it is that it's the ability for everyone to be able to confidently rely on and predict that others will do the right thing and make good on their promises. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a low-risk situation, trust is not an issue, but once we move into high risk, so when we need to do some sort of change or there is a change, so a new CEO, new leadership team, new project, you know, people really will withhold and step back uh, for fear of, you know, doing the wrong thing or making a mistake. And so, you know, leaders need to realise that, you know, building trust is, you know, really about um, understanding, well, I suppose three things. And, and the first one is that trust, you know, is two-way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually biologically programmed to look out at the world to make sure that we're safe. But, you know, we often don't reflect on our behaviours and what we're doing that's making people not trust us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes back to what I was talking about before, that the self-awareness piece, that it's really important for leaders to have that self-awareness, be really conscious of, you know, building trust, because if we we break trust in any way, it takes such a long time to repair, Mm -hmm. if we can actually repair it. And... You know, I spoke to, in some of my research, I did a lot of research with high-performing leaders, and by that they had essentially taken a company and grown it uh, quite remarkably in terms of revenue generation. And what I found interesting about these CEOs was that they were reflecting on their leadership weekly and they were doing everything in their power to ensure they didn't break trust in any way. Mm. Terrific story. Yeah, so it's really about, you know, understanding the, you know, not assuming that we have trust and and Mm. working on it, you know, because trust is like a battery. You know, you can have a full battery, but if you leave that battery alone for a while, that charge will decline. Mm. And so as leaders, we can't just assume, okay, I feel trust with this person. I can just leave them for a while. Uh, everything will be okay, but we don't realise yeah. that, you know, it, yeah. that will decline. So mm. that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and this is really the difficult one for a lot of people, is that, you know, we, we do spend our careers focusing on technical skills rather than relationship skills. Yeah. And it's the interpersonal skills that really are coming into their own now and becoming more and more important, as I mentioned before. And then the third thing is, you know, not assuming that we have trust, uh, which, you know, I, I used to get leaders coming up to me after I was doing a keynote and saying, ah, oh, look, I'm really good at trust. 
which of course is a bit of a flag for me that they're not. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a trust alert coming up. (laughs) I'm really great at trust. Um, All I have to do is be consistent and tell the truth. Mm. Well, I don't know about you, but it's actually really hard to tell the truth all the time because there are sometimes there are things that we can't talk about. You know, there might be confidentiality agreements or, you know, we can't talk about uh, people's health or, you know, personal things. We're, you know, we've got it. there are some things we can't discuss. And then in terms of being consistent, I think that's really hard for a leader. I don't know any leader uh, that's been able to do that <laughs> all the time. Actually, maybe Queen Elizabeth might be a little bit different, but uh, in terms of the work I do with leaders, they'll, you know, be really you know, there might be something that they work on. So, for example, I was working with a school and the principal, an amazing leader, she should really win an award. She would get her deputies and, you know, and what they would do is stand by the gate every morning and greet children and their parents as they Mm. walk through the school gate. Brilliant thing to do. Mm. Now, when I did stakeholder interviews, I discovered that teachers were not getting that same acknowledgement and it was Mm. negatively impacting them. They were saying, well, I'll walk in the hallway and walk past them and they won't say hello (laughs) or they won't come into my classroom and see how I'm going. And so, you know, leaders can be phenomenally good at being inconsistently consistent. Mm. Um, Mm. And so we can't just rely on what we think is trust building. We've got to really understand what the other person needs and work with that. Yeah, great. And what about, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about at different times um, and you've been referring to the top teams just a little bit, um, but there are so many pressures on organisations, very many pressures on leaders. The the pace of work is getting faster, it seems, certainly not slowing down. Um, and we often have uh, quite a lot of competition in top teams um, and there can be quite a bit of power play. Um, and so that's pretty common in certain kinds of organisations. So... Are they the organ? Well, yes. The first question would be: Do those organisations even think they might need to do something about trust? So, do you work with them, and how do you work with them? So, let me stop there with that question. Well, what I'm finding is very common is that in those organisations where trust issues normally get vocalised the most. Uh, that other leaders can't rely on other leaders. Right. Yep. So you'll often find that executives are complaining that other leaders aren't accountable. Uh, they're, you know, passing the buck. They're not getting work done. Uh, and those silos become more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually when those sorts of organisations realise that trust might be an, an issue when those executives just aren't working together, uh, which is why I do that, the succeed together work to actually mm. help reduce mm. those risks. Mm. Yeah. Is there something inherent 
in top teams that mean we should expect there to be less trust? Yeah, well, again, it's, you know, it really comes down to, you know, we, we our whole lives where we're really kind of taught about, you know, the importance of individual results. And then when we actually start our careers, you know, it's all about getting things done and, and mm. you know, leaders struggle to actually let go of doing the tasks and getting, you know, validated for the work they can do and actually yeah. putting their focus and attention on helping people and supporting their people and even other leaders. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point that that. I guess that need for validation. Maybe, maybe we don't validate leaders and leadership. I was going to say enough, but maybe it's in the right ways um, to to help them make that shift and to let go of validation through individual results. But I don't know. Maybe it's a bit more cultural than that. Well, you know, to be honest, you know, a lot of people are very good at the technical, and that's mm. where they should stay. Yes, uh, we have a tendency to promote people based on tenure. Mm. But, you know, some people aren't people persons. That's right. And they don't It's a big mistake, leaders. isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. There's, there's quite a lot of that. Um, and organisations, I think, uh, are not doing enough to, to kind of promote technical people, to be better technical people and have more, uh, I suppose, technical authority perhaps in the organisation rather than giving them people responsibilities. I mean, it's the worst of both worlds, isn't it? They don't get to be technical anymore because they just can't, even if they try to be, even if they don't let go of the the wanting to, to be involved in the technical side of things. They can't do it to the extent of people whose job that is. Uh, and then they're not necessarily leading those people very well. So no, we're not really doing them a service, are we? No, and it's not fair to them as well. You know, mm. one of the interviews that I did was with um, a CEO, he was actually a founder of a company, and he had 200 employees. And he actually told me about one of his executives, very technical, uh, that led a department. And it was pretty obvious that was stressing him out, stressing his team out. Yeah. So a position was created for him where he could basically, now this was pre-COVID when I interviewed him, he basically was given his own little office. He didn't really have to deal with people uh, and he could just do the technical work as deeply and as you know much as he needed to do. And he was in his happy little world where he didn't mm. have to manage people. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and know, could contribute much better, much better to the organisation. Yeah, and, and he, you know, was uh, relied on by their clients for his technical expertise. So, you know, I'm finding that a lot of companies are making those positions available to very technically savvy people who, who are better, at, you know, getting deep on the technical work than actually having to deal with people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's terrific. I like to hear stories like that because I think it's a win-win for for everyone, for the organisation, for the individual and for the team. So that's a win-win-win. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's been really um, very interesting to listen. (coughs) 
that's really been very interesting to listen to your insights around trust and the experience as well as um, your own experience and how you got to running your business today. We think about what are the key lessons that you would like to leave uh, leaders with, those who are interested in having or gaining a deeper insight into what trust exists for them with their team or thinking about what sorts of actions they might take next to build trust, what would you suggest? Well, the first one is really about having a, making time in your calendar, preferably each week, to self-reflect on not just what you're achieving but how you're achieving it. And, again, in the the research that I did with high-performing leaders, I actually found that they were doing that pretty much, interestingly, on a Sunday night. They would actually reflect on their week and, you know, go through uh, some things that, you know, they would look at in terms of trust. And and that was actually Mm. based on a model that I created that I unpack in my book. So, in terms of the things that, you know, neuroscience tells us is important for our brains is that, you know, we create a safe workplace. So, you know, where people can make mistakes and take risks and we don't make fun of them, uh, which can be a challenge for leaders. You know, I know mm. even for myself, you know, um, gosh, as being a mother, you know, with teenagers, uh, sometimes you get so fed up with them. Um, them needing help or complaining that (laughs) when they tell you they've got a problem, you yell at them and then you realise, oh, damn it, I've just created a lack of safety. Uh, But, you know, hopefully we're more conscious in the workplace. Mm. And and then the next one that I talk about in the book is about creating connection. So Mm. now we all see that as being, you know, about creating that sense of belonging, which is, of course, very important for our well-being. But what I found in my research was that what employees really need their leaders to explain to them is how all the different products, priorities, platforms, projects all connect together. Right. To to reduce silos, we really need leaders who can help their direct reports see the bigger picture, you know, put the pieces Mm. of that jigsaw together and understand how all the pieces and parts connect together. And leaders that do that well really help people to understand not only the meaning of their work, which makes it much easier for people to get up in the morning because they know they're making a contribution, but they understand how their work benefits others. Mm -hmm. And that's a real key in reducing those silos and getting teams to work across teams. Mm. And then the third one is really about communicating an exciting future. You know, we we all work hard every day and, you know, know, sometimes employees wonder if the hard work's going to be worth it. You know, (laughs) that quiet quitting that we hear about is a bit of a thing. Uh, But but this really needs leaders to step up and communicate an exciting future that people can understand and understand how they can be a part of it because you know we often ask ourselves you know how am I connected to these people or what's the future uh, with me with these people do I have a future in this company Mm. and we need to really understand these touch points that our brain needs to 
figure out so that we will actually bring our full contribution to our jobs. Mm. 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 Terrific. Thank you very much for sharing those three um, options that leaders can do, something quite practical and something that they can do um, immediately before they're able to buy your book. Um, is there anything else uh, that you would like to add to the conversation um, today? Well, one thing, just I'm just going to throw it out there, that oh. is also, it's also really important in terms of trust because, you know, as human beings, we don't trust a situation if we can't see what's going on. And, you know, when we don't know what's going on or we can't see what's going on, we tend to, you know, go in a negative direction. So um, it's really important that leaders actually make things more visible. Mm -hmm. And so what I found in my research is that employees want leaders who are visible. They want to be able to see them more. Mm-hmm. They also, we need leaders who ensure that employees are visible. You know, you can't have employees working from home but no one knows what they're doing or never sees them on yeah. camera type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we also need to see, you know, the priorities, accountabilities and and even visibility and dis- decision-making. Employees mm. really want to know uh, how leaders, particularly executives, are thinking about things. Yeah. And so, you know, really shedding light on these things are, are also so important for trust as well. Mm, yeah. And I think part of the challenge is because we are working in different places now more so than than previously, uh, leaders need to, I, I guess, be a bit more creative about how they do that. But I would certainly say, and I'm interested in what you say, I would certainly say that it is possible despite video conferencing and and remote working, it is still very much possible to make all of those things that you've said visible. It just might take a little little bit of extra thinking about how to do that. Oh, I actually think it's easier than before. Oh, there you are. Yeah, because we, we there's software that can help you do it. So, you know, mm-hmm. for example, if you're having a meeting, you can share the transcripts of what people said so that, you know, the more inf- people, you know, if there's a meeting and people aren't invited or they missed it, they kind of think that they're out of the loop and they start to distrust yeah. the situation. So, mm. you know, really openly sharing, you know, meeting transcripts or videos or, you know, it, mm. it sounds like overkill, but you'll be surprised at how some people need that. Yeah. It's better to give more and, and overwhelm people with stuff than to not give enough and then they, you know, really withdraw from the situation. Yeah. Uh, well, people can make the choice about what things they follow up on and I think there's some comfort in just knowing you can access things hmm. so then you can be reassured it's not secret because if you want to find out, uh, you're able to do so. Exactly. And, and then there's also really wonderful you know, team software where you can have a dashboard, you can see the KPIs, you can see how other employees mm. in your team are tracking uh, because, you know, employees don't trust other employees who aren't yes, handing yeah. in work and getting things done. So that, you know, yep. we've really got to open that up so that everyone trusts everyone. Yeah. And what a great way to finish up the conversation, this kind of ideal future state where we all trust each other. 
um, certainly the opportunity to to increase trust in organisations, in top teams, but between leaders and the workforce is um, particularly high. And you've shared a whole lot of insights uh, and interesting practical ways that leaders can do that. So, Marika, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Really enjoyed our chat.